Welcome to Demogranomics, your insight to the powerful surprises ahead for the US economy. Demogranomics, where people make markets. And now, here is Mike Williams. Hey there, good morning, and uh, thanks again for joining us on the podcast. Today's episode will be called uh, Inflation. You know, back in late January, as the oil market was bottoming, uh, these podcasts suggested that with all the experts then espousing the mortal risk of deflationary clutches we found ourselves in, we should be on the lookout for new inflationary rebirth. Uh, in other words, uh, what we were trying to say is now that everyone knew the obvious was deflation. Remember, this is back when uh, crude oil broke below 30 bucks. It went to 28 almost overnight and then over the next 24 hours, hit about 26 and some change. All the experts came out flooding the airwaves with, oh my God, oil's going to $10. Deflationary pressures are going to collapse the world. Of course, uh, right about then is when we started saying to ourselves, hey, now that everybody in the world is talking about deflation, which we've been covering for two years, um, you know, maybe we should talk about the surprise. So here we are, inflationary pressures are the new chatter amongst experts and the talking heads. Heck, some of your favorite talking heads have as recently as yesterday covered, quote, the new price pressure in crude oil now that it is approaching $50 again. Now think about that for a second. Um, we said in oh, I don't know, four or five podcasts that with everyone terrified of cheap crude oil that we could assure ourselves that as soon as we bounced, and I think we even said back to the 50s, we would once again hear that that was bad for us as well. Oddly enough, I didn't hear anything about inflationary pressures when crude oil was at the very same price on its way down last summer. So where is inflation really? I mean, really and truly, where is inflation? Oddly enough, it's right where it's been for years. Now listen, we have to ignore for a second oil, because as we both know, oil goes up and oil goes down. Yes, it's a part of our costs, but it moves back and forth. It's rather volatile compared to a fairly steady consumer price index. Now I can't show you this chart, but I'm going to describe it to you. Imagine a line going diagonally from bottom left to upper right, and it literally goes straight up the chart. We have since 2002, roughly 14 years in length, have been at roughly 2.0% annual inflationary pressures. The only time we got a little higher than that was in the heyday of real estate bubbles, and we rose above that a little bit, about 3%. Oddly enough, the last two years of the real estate bubble, no one worried about inflationary pressures. So let's think of this X energy. We've had a trend line in place for years. It's right on the Fed's target. Even with the known massive increases in bank reserves, printing of money, as we were told, inflation has been remarkably stable 
QE was an answer not to print money, but to soak up a massive amount of fear as the demand for, quote, safety, i.e. bonds, during the 2008-2009 crisis hit generational records and has been going ever since. While we can be confident the Fed is well aware of these dynamics around the ebb and flow of oil shocks, positive and negative, by the way, over the years, the new chatter topic is clear. So far, the Fed has not panicked over the low rates of headline inflation we have seen over the past year or so, which again we noted in January was now likely to shift. What worries them, and investors across the land, I suspect, is the continued, quote, sluggish economy. They most certainly also know that the market is skittish over the next rate hike as a trigger to weaken the economy even further. I call that being trapped between a lot of rocks and a hard place. Hampered by the desire to not appear political in the election year environment we are in, I can see how the Fed would like to continue on a planned pathway with another hike, but at the same time they feel confined. We've seen this before, so let's not fret too much. Oddly, as stated many times in these podcasts, I don't think another quarter point hike is going to do much to harm the economy. Actually, it'll probably help. But it's hard to make a compelling argument for doing so right at this time. We have to understand that the real culprit holding back a more powerful showing in our country's economic results, it's not the things that we're doing that makes it look weak. It's what has been done to the economy. We likely need to recognize and settle in for a summer of mush with the action focused on the media-driven election dynamics. The reality of all this is not about a rate hike. Instead, the dance should be focused on the course of needed fiscal policy adjustments. They can and will make a world of difference to the economic outlook in coming years. Patients will be of high value in the next few months. I have a hunch the Fed is more likely to reach the same conclusion at the June FOMC meeting. That's not going to change the fact that we're going to hear about it every 15 seconds between now and then. But look, the rate hike itself would oddly be a positive. I don't think people can remember that way back in the year 2000, when the world was rosy and everybody loved the stock market, the 10-year bond was 8.5%. I want you to think about that for a second. Fed funds rate was 8. Remember that because we're arguing over a quarter of a point to take it all the way to one half of one half percent. Interesting, huh? As I said, patience is going to be a required element as we get through the summer again. It is every summer, by the way. But here's the thing, the issues that we are facing today, the short-term headline issues, are once again driving fear levels to highs we haven't seen in ages. Right on time with the sell in May crowd acting in concert, the quote earnings recession getting plenty of coverage, 
The summer doldrums weeks away and the Wall Street houses joining in on the tune, with Goldman being the latest to suggest we, quote, shun equities. You can bet your bottom dollar they're buying while they tell you to do that. Fear levels in the investment crowd are once again reaching levels that are beneficial. This is excellent for the long-term investor, though it's never fun to watch all the choppiness back and forth. I hate red ink as much as everybody else. We stand by the same idea we've had for the last few summer swoons. They provide a solid opportunity to the patient hand. Let's review a few snapshots of current data readings. If you take the eight-week average of the bullish sentiment in the AAII survey of investors around the country, they do it every week, the latest number is 19.3% bullish, meaning four in five people don't like the stock market. They're either, quote, neutral, which is German for I have no idea what I'm talking about, or they're outright bearish. But that's 80%. Less than 20 are bullish. Now, we've only had that reading nine times, that sub-20 reading nine times since 1990. I call this the fear is the new black mentality. Get that. Fear is the new black. The latest Bank of America Merrill Lynch fund manager surveys also shows that cash levels are now near record highs. Think about that. We're nearing levels we've only seen one other, one other time in decades. What does that tell you about the stock market? This is not the way bull markets end. Bull markets don't end with everybody already afraid of the risk. Bull markets don't end until everybody is all in. Cash levels wouldn't be $8.2 trillion in the bank earning nothing if everybody loved stocks and they loved the future and they were positive about their outlooks. That's not what we would be seeing. Before I go on this podcast, I want to give you another perspective of the, of the quote, earnings recession. The current version of our pause in earnings, which has the crowd running from equities, is not much different than previous events we've seen at other points in our history. In fact, we've had between a 10 and 20% year-over-year negative change in earnings on six other occasions in our history. They were at the low of the tech bubble in the year 2003, obviously the low of the 08 and 09 collapse back in March of 09, but more interestingly, also back in the mid 80s, back when we had the 19, uh, excuse me, 87 crash, remember? October of 87, Black Monday, remember that? 22% down in one day. That was obviously a dip in earnings because everybody was terrified. Early 1980s were terrible. That was back in the lost decade of the 70s, had just been lived through. The mid-1970s had a down move of year-over-year decrease and also the beginning of the 70s. Now, what I, <clears throat> what I would point to you in each of those meticulous times in the past that we have had, quote, earnings recessions, they were not the ends of things. As they turned out, 
months later, they were bottoms of things, meaning bottoms in prices. Each of those periods I just read off to you were all value territories for the long-term investor. Yeah, they were scary. The headlines were terrible, but they were the ends of the ebb and flow, the ends of the roller coaster ride on the valley in between the two mountaintops. They weren't the beginning. Companies adjust. Companies work. The perspective we may want to view is this. These points where corporate, corporate profits dipped year over year for a reset and a new foundation to grow from, all of them in the past were buy regions, not sell regions. They were sell if you had an outlook of a week or a month or a quarter or a year. But if you're a long-term investor, each one of those periods was beneficial to not run for the hills. That's something to consider as the summer boredom approaches. So listen, let's stay focused on long-term demographics while too many others will still get lost in the near-term economics. Hope these thoughts have been helpful. Until you see us again, or we see you again on the next podcast, may your journey be grand and your legacy significant.